I think somewhere along the way, we realise that we've got to look after ourselves as well. And I suppose I realised that when my husband died, I realised that when I got overtired, as we all do, and I realised that when I was giving the lectures to patients to take it easy, pace, and I realised I wasn't doing it myself. I'm Dr. Mark Rowe, and welcome to my podcast, In the Doctor's Chair. As a family physician, my expertise is supporting people in the areas of positive health and lifestyle medicine. Join me in conversations that share life lessons, health habits and leadership practices, focusing on positive psychology, lifestyle medicine and ways that enable you to live with more vitality on purpose. Appreciating that when it comes to your vitality, that everything is so interconnected. Episodes will air weekly, and you can find me wherever you listen to your podcasts. And of course, on my website, drmarkrow.com. As a practicing family doctor with expertise in lifestyle as medicine, my purpose is to encourage and support you in terms of positive health, personal growth, and all things well-being. As I say, to never stop starting. Each month on a live webinar, I teach learning by doing and learning by being the why and the how of health enhancing habits, giving you the science as well as support strategies to live with more vitality. I'd like to invite you to join my self-development club. To learn more and to sign up, visit drmarkrow.com. I'm delighted to be joined in the doctor's chair today by Dr. Mary Ryan, a medical doctor who initially trained as an endocrinologist and hormone health specialist and in more recent years, she's also become an advocate for women's health and well-being. She's a senior lecturer at the University of Limerick Medical School, a regular contributor to the media, as well as being host of the Empowering Women podcast. Her first book is called It's Probably Your Hormones. And you can learn more about Mary's work at drmaryryan.com. Mary, you're very welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Mark, for having me. And thank you. Really delighted to be here. So, Mary, what? drew you to medicine? Why did you decide to become a doctor? So I think at 11 years of age, my mother took me to the GP. Um, I had the, the, some abdominal pain, probably growing pains, nothing much. But I just really liked the GP. There's no doctors in the family, Mark. They're all, all teachers, actually. My father's a farmer. So I think I just was, I, I really liked his style and I decided then I was going to become a doctor. I loved veterinary as well, but I'd never be able to put an animal down. <laughs> so I decided to do medicine. But I really, I went to Trinity then, the GP went to Trinity, so I went to Trinity. And I felt a little bit the first year, like um, very lonely because, you know, up from the country, hadn't been traveling much up to that. And um, I found it quite hard, quite lonely for the first, I'd say six to seven months. Everyone in Trinity at that time was, there was a lot coming from the North and also around Dublin. There was very few country people, um, actually, but I made great friends and still have great friends from there. So that's wonderful. And Trinity actually left its mark. It was a lovely medical school, small. There was only about 76 of us, which was lovely. It's, it was almost like 
you know, some some of the lecturers had these wonderful fancy names and you still remember them. Uh, we had Professor Maura O'Brien, who is very, mm-hmm. very famous for osteoporosis. She was terrific, coming to lectures anatomy with her hair wet after being out swimming at lunchtime, you know. So just some fabulous mentors there. And then, no, I just loved it. And then I was very lucky to meet Professor Ian Graham when I was in the fifth year, um, took me under his wing and I did a lot of research on LP little a and lipids and heart. And I thought I was going to go down the cardiology route. And then as an intern, I worked with Dr. John Barigray, who's an endocrinologist, and he just fascinated me and Professor Gerald Tomkin, who, you know, they just really introduced me to the whole area of hormones. And I love the whole idea of looking at the whole entire person, not just one organ, looking at the whole thing, being like the detective and trying to figure out what's going on here. I just love the whole variety of it. And I suppose both of them, I was very lucky. They were real communicators. They had a great bedside manner. They taught me the importance of taking a good history, you know, very skillful at doing physical exams and just very skillful at diagnosing. So I was very lucky. And then I worked as a registrar for Professor Jim Devlin, who was also an endocrinologist. So I suppose I was lucky, Mark, to meet some fabulous people that introduced Mm. me to the whole area. So that's how I ended up in endocrinology anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So so you had inspiring teachers firstly, and then you were, you know, you were intrigued, I suppose, by by medicine as a specialty. And that drew you into sort of your special interest in in sort of hormones and and hormone health. Talk to us a little bit about why hormones are so important for our physical, mental, emotional health and overall well-being. So hormones, and this is something I only found out when I went into the whole interventionology, is hormones control everything. They control your moods, your desires, they control all your muscles, they control your immune system, they control every single organ in the body. They're little chemical messengers, as you know, Mark, that that are secreted into the body and they work on these little receptors and they operate absolutely everything. And I suppose when I paired it back, the pituitary gland, which is the master control gland on top of the nose, controls everything. It's it's designed in, in a terrific way where there's a positive and a ne- negative feedback system. So if it if there's too much, then it feeds back and, and uh, switches it off. And it really works very well. But what I saw and what there's been noticed in research is that if you know if you overdo it, then it doesn't work as well. And this happens in women if they have really, really heavy periods or if we overdo it, which we all do as women, as doctors, as as professionals. You know, we all find that chronic fatigue, you see it a lot in general practice, Mm -hmm. Mark. You know, a lot of these patients are not treated very well because actually what it is was often dismissed. But in actual fact, what it is, is that hormone control center tired. As a result of that, the hormones are down to every nerve muscle junction. The aches and pains in the muscles. Therefore, you can't get the deep muscle relaxation. Therefore, they don't sleep. And therefore, that's whole, that whole vicious cycle. Mm. That can happen to men or women if they overdo it or if they get COVID infection or glandular fever. There's an anesthetics. There's loads of causes. But the lovely thing is that you can treat it by treating the hormone imbalance. But in a lot of cases, lifestyle change, getting the patient to eat healthily and getting the patient to listen to their bodies, which you're brilliant at, at lecturing, doing, getting them to sort of listen to their bodies and listen to what their, their body is telling them mm. and to sit and to recharge. So much of us don't do that. We, When we're tired, we keep going. We sort of feel mm. we have to overcome it. We have to best the body instead of sitting back and allowing the bodies to recharge because we're so well designed. It's, it's very good at rectifying itself, but we often don't 
allowed that to happen. So I think I, I needed, and, and that's why I, I, I talk about this so much, is that I don't think it's been explained to people in that way. And that's why they don't listen to us doctors when we say the importance of pacing, of resting, of meditating, of sleeping and of mm. eating healthily. That when you pair it back, it all goes back to hormones control everything and they can do what they need to do if you let them do it by recharging and plugging in that hormone control center the way we plug in a computer and, and a phone. I think you've said two very interesting things there. Firstly, and I'm paraphrasing slightly from Socrates, the importance of knowing yourself, to know what suits you best and to be able to recognize when you're feeling under the weather, under stress. Absolutely. And then secondly, the key point of recharge, to recharge from stress. We live in such a hyper-connected world now where there's so much busyness and distraction and, and toxic stress. People aren't giving themselves enough opportunity to really recharge from that. Absolutely. In, with all the self-care strategies. And that's why people are burning out. Totally, totally, totally. And it's the reason why we're seeing so many autoimmune disease and endocrinology. We see it all the time with thyroid disease, overactive, mm. underactive. But, but even the whole chronic fatigue thing, even fertility, it affects everything. You know, mm. it affects prolactin, which is the stress hormone, but it, which goes up in stress. But it also inhibits ovulation. So all these hormones, life and stress and busyness interferes with our whole hormone cycle and it interferes with our health and life as a result. And there's so much we can do by just, you know, taking a moment, loving ourselves and, and actually just taking control and the power is within us to do that. And it's just to educate people to do that, Mark, is the key thing, I think. And your book really is a it really is a wonderful read and, and it's a great piece of work. And, you know, as, as I said to you before we started the podcast, it takes somebody really who's written a book to appreciate just how much blood, sweat and tears goes into into writing Never. a book. I never realized it, Mark. <laughs> oh my goodness, I never realized it. I thought you'd do it in a month. I didn't realize it would take two no. years. It's terrible, yeah. And it takes time. As I say, you know, if you're going to bake a good cake, you got to get the ingredients, you got to let them give it time and and, and and all of that. But you have two wonderful quotes in the, in the front page of the book. And I wanted to ask you about those. Firstly, Maya Angelou is one of my favorite writers. She said, if I'm not good to myself, how can I be... How can anyone else be good to me? I think that's beautiful. And I wanted to ask you about that, Mary. Did you choose that quote deliberately? And if so, why? I think because I I suppose on a personal level, you know, we're, we're all... We all, as doctors in particular, and I'm talking personal level, but I think a lot of doctors, we go into the, to medicine because we want to help people. We want to care for people, mm. you know, and we're all caught up in that. And we absolutely are passionate about what we do and we, we love it. And all doctors are the same. But I think somewhere along the way, we realize that we've got to look after ourselves as well. And I suppose I realized that when my husband died, I realized that when I got overtired, as we all do, and I realized that when I was giving the lectures to patients to take it easy pace, and I realized I wasn't doing it myself. So I suppose there was a bit of self-learning in that, Mark, where I, I then went and researched and said, gee, I better do a bit of work on myself. I'm great at giving the talk, but I need to do it myself. So I think it was it was personal, but also, you know, when, when I've lived it, I can I can really communicate mm. it then, you know. And I must say, I was very sorry to learn that your husband died you know, all those years ago and left you with three young children. I mean, that must have been incredibly hard for you. 
Yeah, it was, it was. I mean, we all, you know, we have dreams as children and when we're in our 20s of meeting someone, falling in love, having children. And we had just moved into our house. We'd done a lot of work on, on our house. It was a lovely old listed house by river. You know, you couldn't dream about it. And we had just finished the laborious task of doing it up, which is, you know, is a big task and three beautiful children. And then Eamon died suddenly. And it was it was terrible because the twin boys were eight. Una was five and it was just wrenching. And I suppose as a mother and as a lone parent, you, you have to just get on with it. And you know that you have to get on with it. And yet you're just struck down. And, you know, you also have patience, you have work, you have patience that you have a duty to as well. So you're aware of all this and yet you're sort of in a vacuum, but you know that you have to exist. So I suppose that went on for two years and I had great support from family, from patients, from friends, from my kids as well. They were amazing. But the one thing I did do, and I, I say this to my patients, I went for counselling mm -hmm. and it was terrific. Um, I suppose as a doctor, you think you know it all and you think what good would that do? But for me, it was great because it sort of paired it back and treated me as the patient and gave me a little few gems to, to teach me and navigate me out of that very tough time. And I suppose the big thing was that as a result, I was a better parent. I was a better doctor because I was able to pass on all of what I had learned to them. So, you know, I always tell patients when they, you know, they've lost someone or they're going through a tough time, don't be afraid to go for counselling. Don't be afraid to, to talk about it, because I think in Ireland we, we don't do it too much. I know in America they do it a lot, but I think it's very important that we all take that inner journey, because the more we learn about ourselves and understand ourselves, the better people we are and the better mother and sister and doctor we are. I, I just I know you believe that as well, Mark, because you're big into that. But I certainly found that I learned an awful lot from it. But I think I was a better mother because I had a higher self-esteem as a result of all that counselling. And obviously I was a better doctor as well as a result. You know, I really mm -hmm. do believe that. I think yeah. that's a really important message, you know, that we, we're we all human at the end of the day and we can all benefit from, yeah. you know, learning to treat ourselves with more self-compassion, learning to really be kinder to ourselves and understand that how we see things is not necessarily always how things are. And um, I think counselling can enable us to see things a little bit differently and give us different perspectives. Okay. And you know, the, you said something very true there, Mark. We don't see ourselves from the outside. Mm -hmm. And when you're a strong individual, uh, you know, as doctors, people don't tend to tell us negatives. They tell us the positives. But we need to hear, you know, all sides in order to develop. So I think that's the good thing about uh, counselling as well, that it, it shows you as the real person, which you don't, nobody really see. You can't see it for yourself unless somebody tells you. Mm, yeah. And I suppose it's, you know, it's one of the many ways that we can learn to grow from our experiences and, and to gain a new sense of who we are and a new sense of perspective in the world. Totally, totally, totally. No, it, it was invaluable for me. And I think I passed on a lot of that wisdom to the children and to my patients. So I, I would highly recommend it. And I think that the the, the, the inner journey is, is fantastic. And as that great psychologist, Dr. Tony Humphrey says, put the gaze on yourself. It's so important mm -hmm. and we don't do it enough, you know. And that brings me to the second quote you had by uh, the wonderful Carlos Castaneda, who wrote that the trick is in what one emphasizes. We either make ourselves miserable or we make ourselves happy. The amount of work is the same. Yeah, so true. That's so true. You know, you're only in this life once. 
and you you know you have a choice uh which way you want to go and I suppose I was very blessed that I had two lovely positive parents great work ethic but I have that great positivity in me I have great health thank God but I I do a lot to, to keep myself healthy I I do eat very healthily I'm I'm you know I tell all my patients I need to have a treat once a week but that's what I do myself I don't bring it in so I, I do let, live a very healthy life I believe in in getting sleep but just go back to your question yeah I, I would be a very positive person and I do believe that it's in our you know we've been given great health we've been given great gifts um but we need to use them. And I'm a big believer in using gifts. So um, that's why I love communicating. So I don't mind getting up, giving lectures. I don't mind doing the media stuff because if I can share the knowledge and educate people, I'll do that. But I believe we're in this life to make a difference. If we mm. can do it, I'm very lucky to be given that gift. So we should we should use it. And thankfully, I'm very positive. Of course, we all have, have days that you know, things don't run well. But for the majority of time, Mark, I would be very positive. And if something went wrong, I would just say, right, let, let's see how we can do it another way. And thankfully, that's what I do. And, and it's a great way to be. Well, it is a great way to be. And as I always say, you know, we make a living with what we get, but we make a life with what we give to others. And, you know, I think really service, serving others in whatever way you can, it's a wonderful way to, you know, not just support other people, but to give you such a wonderful sense of purpose and meaning and fulfillment. Totally, totally. Mark, when I was in Trinity, my mother, I, I sing and I trained as a soprano singer, but that thanks to my mother, she said to me, it'd be a good idea, Mary, now when you're up in Dublin to go to uh, get the voice trained because you have a lovely voice, you, need, you should do that. And um, I went to the lovely Veronica Dunn, Dr. Veronica Dunn, and she was such a legend. She I was running up the stairs up to get, you know, out of breath after the last lecture to to go in and, and train. And uh, she took pity on me and she brought me out to her house in Bushy Park and Rathfarn. I'm Lord Mercenary. She's dead now. And she used to cook me supper and then give me the lesson. And my point in that is she was one of those people that was larger than life and just gave so much. But she, you know, always said that she got more by giving than she did by you know, from what we gave her, she she was just one of those incredible people. So she was somebody I really was was uh, impressed with. She really was. She was incredible. Can I ask you about about healthcare? Because I think being a doctor nowadays, it can be wonderfully fulfilling, but it's also an incredibly challenging career. And there's sort of a tsunami of demand, and you know, care and conditions are becoming more and more complex. What do you think is What's wrong with modern medicine? In other words, I, I really believe that we've gone too far down the path of the pill for every ill. Yes. And I we need agree. to get back to that holi more holistic view of, of well-being. Have you any ideas as to how we can make that voice louder in the world in terms of a more holistic approach to care? Uh, yeah, I, Mark, I, I totally agree with you. I am. Um, I'm always saying, and I, I keep saying it. And I was actually on Pat Kenny's show this morning, and I said the very same thing. That uh, you know, as doctors, we're we're seen as prescribers, but medicine is not. A, it shouldn't be all about prescriptive. It's it's exactly. If, for example, take the the whole thing of diabetes. And I was asked to talk about obesity this morning. If you look at at um, diabetes, you can prevent type two diabetes by just eating healthily. So if we as 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 doctors and as a society and as a government take an initiative to actually 
you know, educate at the at, as from a young age, from parents, from schools to to hurling clubs, G, uh, to to actually make people eat healthily, but not just to to tell them as they have done to eat healthily, but to actually tell them what happens if you don't. I always say that patients that come in, you know, if you don't eat healthily. You, you know, and you have diabetes, for example, then your sugars aren't going to be normal. And then you're going to get, uh, you know, d- damage your eyes, damage your kidneys, damage your your um, heart. And I, the answer to your question is, I don't think while they're doing that message, I don't think they're doing it good enough. Because if people really understood that by eating unhealthily, that they were damaging their organs, really believe that. I don't think they do it. I don't think, I think we're we're not getting the message across enough. And I was involved in that obesity task force advisory group. Oh, it, it, the boys are, are 19. It was 19 years ago. I was going up and down to Dublin and they started and they brought it out then. But I don't think they've pushed it enough, Mark. You know, they, they started the schools and got this initiative going. But I think we need to do a lot more and, and make people take ownership. It's not just us doctors and nurses that need to do it. Patients have to be told, take ownership of their own lives. You know, they've only one life, you've got to live it. And they really should be encouraged strongly to eat healthily. And maybe we need to tax those real sugary foods a lot more than we're doing. Mm. We need to stop uh, all these biscuits being sold for, you know, 80 cents because they're really bad and all this processed food. But just to to encourage people to eat healthily. And, you know, at this time when there's probably a recession looming, it's a lot cheaper to eat healthily, you know. Mm-hmm. And with all the food programs we have, every time you turn on RTE, there's a food program. Let's get those presenters who do a great job to, to incorporate more healthy eating, you know, less cream and less sugar and more healthy eating. But I, I really think that we're not doing enough of the holistic approach and putting the control and creating awareness in the patient that it's up to them to take ownership of their lives, up to them to eat healthily, up to them to exercise, up to them to, to recharge. And I think that's what you and I are trying to do is trying to educate the public because we can see everyone. Mm that look at it, it, create the awareness. You need to do this for yourself, for your family, because if you don't, you're shortening your lifespan and you're going to get all these chronic diseases. And I think that's where it needs to start, Mark. And I don't think there's enough put into prevention, but I think proper communication is is, is where it's falling down. They're doing it, but not good enough, in my mm. opinion. Mm. Yeah, well, I think an ounce of prevention is better than a pound of cure, as they said. Uh, but I, I think I think there's a there's an issue around the environments that people are in as well, because to an extent, we're all products of our environments. And if you think about the amount of commercials that people are exposed to promoting, you know, high fat, high sugar products, the default option is 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 rarely the healthy option. I think we need to try and make healthier choices, easier, more sustainable choices for people. And and I know there's a new program in Harvard now where they're actually teaching healthcare professionals to cook so that you can demonstrate, you know, healthy, healthy cooking and cooking healthy meal options, because I think there is there's sometimes a big knowledge gap there as well for people. Totally, totally. And even there's there's a talking about Harvard, there's a study out in Harvard telling us that if we take seven grams of olive oil a day, they reduce neuro, neurodegenerative disease, which is where the brain, you know, reducing mm. dementia, reducing heart disease, reducing stroke. If that was put out more, you know, those sort of simple little messages, we'd yes. all 
being extra virgin olive oil all the time. You know, I just think that we're missing such uh, an opportunity with all the talking about eating and all the brilliant presenters we have that uh, present th- those food programs. I think, Mark, yeah, we need to 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 do more of that healthy eating and maybe to incorporate the likes of you and say, look at, you know, come down and 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 when they're visiting Waterford and say, look at, you know, this this is a healthy option. And, and I think we need to, to do more of that because it's all about changing the narrative. Once mm. you change the narrative, then people, you, you know, you make it. That, that's the reality, you know, well, and that's what we do. Well, for us, health is such a priceless gift. It really is, you know, it, it, you can't even measure how, how priceless it is to, to have good health. I love the idea of social prescribing, Mary, in terms of, like with the beautiful world famous Mount Congreve Gardens um, yeah. close to our practice and, you know, prescribing time in nature, which seems to be so incredibly beneficial for our recharge from stress and physical health, lowering cortisol levels and so on. What are your what are your thoughts on nat- the natural world and time in nature? Oh, so I am a big, I'm a farmer's daughter and I grew up farming and I grew up doing a lot of farming because my father was also at another job. So I was out before and, and after school and uh, very, very busy. And, and you know, it was wonderful. And I love, I love nature, Mark, as a result. But yeah, I, I'm I'm a big believer in exercise, getting out in the fresh air. Those positive ions are just so important. But it's been shown time and time again that nature really helps your hormonal health. It increases serotonin levels. It helps stay in orphans and as you mm-hmm. said it keeps cortisol and it just it's really really good for our circadian rhythm so getting out in fresh air even if it's raining even if it's cold just stick on a coat and just get some fresh air and going by water is fantastic running water is terrific the ions really really help as well so but i think it's it's up to us as individuals to take ownership of our health and to actually do the best that we're all talking about but actually to say i'm going to do it and and help all of us help the health system uh mm. in, in doing so I, I think that's so important but yeah but i'm a big believer of the holistic approach so are you uh the reason i am is that you know, all the diseases that we deal with, if you don't do lifestyle change, if you don't recharge, if you don't eat healthily, all of that links into everything else. You know, you've mm-hmm. got to you've got to do all that uh, for everything else to work. So it's it's so important. It really is, Mary. And, and, you know, something else I've really learned is that, you know, the only person I can change in this life is myself. And, you know, you need to take the log out of your own eye before you talk about the speck in someone else's. And I think that's really important. If you want to advocate for positive health, it's about your own actions as well. And if you want to talk about exercise and time in nature and the benefits of yoga or recharge from sleep or whatever it is, eating healthily, let your own actions speak louder than your own words. Totally, yeah, totally. And even you mentioned something about gratitude earlier. I'm a big believer in that. And I think... Mm. You know, again, it's where you come from. I come from a family where they're, they're, the rosary is set every night and you wake up and they're always saying, oh, thank God, it's a fine day. So maybe I came from that. But I would be a big believer. I get up in the morning, I look out and I say, oh, thank God, it's great to be alive. It's great to be healthy. And you just feel good. So I suppose gratitude is about appreciating what you have. Yes. But also, you know, just really thanking God that you're so well, because we as doctors see people unwell all of the time and hear all the horror stories. So I think we are always, Mark, as doctors, so grateful that we are healthy and, you know, so grateful to, to be to be able to help people as well. Oh, so I think ab- we're pressing ab- all the time. Absolutely. You know, I love that idea. WWW, what went well? 
three things that went well today. It's a wonderful way to focus on appreciation as opposed to scarcity or absence. And it is it is such a powerful way to recharge from stress, improve your sleep, and just feel more feel more positive and feel feel more content. I think it's a real keystone habit. And as you said, Mary, I mean, we have so much to be grateful for. If you think that 50% of the world's population lives on less than, I think it's $2.50 a day. Oh, gosh, I know. We, uh, we, we are so blessed. We're so blessed and none of the violence that's going on. Mm. You know, we, we are so blessed. Yeah, we really, really are. And, and we have a lovely society and we have a lovely, okay, we give out about the rain. But, you know, we don't have the extreme. So, yeah, we, we're so lucky. <laughs> we're so lucky. Yeah. And and it really yeah. is. It, gratitude is contagious as well, isn't it? Do you find that that in the sense that everyone likes to be around gra- grateful people, but the more you're grateful for, the more you find to be grateful for. It's sort of an upward spiral. <laughs> it is, yeah, totally, totally. Um, oh, no, absolutely. And I think, as you said, yeah, we lead from the front. I am always and, and say to my kids, but also to my patients, you know, we have to be we have to always look at the positive. And once you look at the positive, then it's it's a win win from that. And and that's part of gratitude. But it's also part of being positive and part of saying, you know what, it's great to be alive. Let's get on with it and let's do it. And that appreciation of the moment as well. And once you appreciate the moment and appreciate how good things you have you you forget about the bad stuff you that's, you just appreciate that that's the reality you know mm-hmm. you just come with it and no one has it perfect and anyone that thinks they do you know <laughs> they need to look over their shoulder none of us do but you make the best of it but you the one thing I have learned and I always say to my patients is you must be good to yourself too yes really really important that you do um you know you do recharge you do rest you go for your vacations your walks you do whatever makes you happy because that contentment is very good for your hormonal health as well it's very good for you all your pituitary your adrenals it just really helps the whole hormonal cycle so it's good and i i think particularly women are bad at doing that women are terrific at giving. And I've seen this with patients over the years, but they're bad at giving to themselves. And that's something that needs to be redressed. And again, that's one of the reasons that I spoke out, because I think if as doctors, Mark, we speak out and say it, we're changing the narrative, we're awakening people, and they're actually going to do something about it. And I think that's very important. I couldn't agree with you more. I think that's a really, really important point. I've met a lot of women over the years who I would say believe that self-care equals selfish care, that they're always giving to their children, to their extended families and end up becoming worn to crisps themselves at times. And it's just because that's how they see they see the world and that's how they see their 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 place in the world. So as you said, it's about a balance, isn't it? A healthy balance between care for yourself and care for others. Totally. And if those women, if you can empower them, they will break that dysfunctional cycle, that intergenerational cycle that will go on to the next few generations. So it's it, that's where it's, why it's so important to, to nip it in the bud. Are you a spiritual person, Mary? Yes, I am. I'm very much so. I would have been brought up in a, in a Catholic family and, you know, the rosary always said. And I suppose when, when my husband died, as we all do, when something bad happens, you sort of get very cross, very angry. But that's a very natural thing. I was educated in the convent. The nuns were brilliant to me. I had a very good experience. I was very lucky. Sister Patricia, a psychologist that was our our head, she was ahead of her time. She was talking about, you know, the importance of empowering yourself and that that self-development was way more important than academics. So we were very fortunate. But um, I suppose when any of us go through a roller coaster, like a death or a sudden death, you know, you do begin to question and we all do that. That's normal. 
But I think once I got over that, I did, you know, I, I, I would be very spiritual and I would, I do know that, you know, I thank God that my children are healthy, I'm healthy and that I have the will to go on and the great energy that I have, Mark. I do. But, but like everyone, when something goes wrong, you know, of course, you question and sometimes we, we don't understand things. But yes, I would be overall a, a spiritual person. Yeah, definitely. And can I ask you, Mary, you know, if you were to give our listeners three take homes for building a more resilient mindset, what three things might you say? OK, so loving yourself is the first thing, because if you mm-hmm. love yourself, you will really do everything that you have to do for yourself to make yourself that better person. What does um, that mean when you say love yourself? I mean, so loving myself means that that I take time for myself, that mm-hmm. I that I'm I'm very busy, but that I take time for myself. I, I go to, I, I need my sleep. I'm one of those people that need my sleep. So I, I actually will be in bed for 10, half 10, that I, I get my sleep, that I, you know, treat myself, that I go for my holiday or that, that I pull back and I learn to say no and that I know mm. the boundaries. And this is all something that I have developed because I wasn't good at doing it at the start. I think we were all brought up to be real givers and, and that's something that I've developed over the years and tried to pass on. So that's really what I mean by loving myself, really realizing that unique person that we all are. And and then when, when you love yourself, you take the time to eat healthily. I buy myself good quality food. I take the time to eat it. You know, if I feel like it's going out and having a cappuccino with the kids, I'll do it and I don't question it. So I think that's what I mean by loving myself. You know, if I, if I wanted a massage, I'd go for a massage, do, do the little things that that will treat myself. But at the, at the essence, I will I will always look after myself because if, if I look after myself, then I can look after others. So I think that's really important. I think I've done a lot of inner work on myself. And I did that when my husband died. I read all Tony Humphrey's books, actually. And I he, he's very, very good. And I, I learned an awful lot from that about the inner child and 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 really, you know, I became a stronger person and I think a better parent and a better person as a result. Um, so I, I would strongly advise that for, for patients um, and, and, and if anyone listening. that That's really, Mark, for me, becoming resilient is just loving myself, learning how to cope with stress. I'm good at coping with stress. Thank God. It's a gift, I think. And I think always looking at the positive uh, as opposed to the negative. So no matter what faces me, I will just take a deep breath and say, right, I'll deal with it. You know, that, that really are, is, is how I cope with life anyway. So firstly, learning to love yourself and you explain that really well. Secondly, learning to recharge from stress. And thirdly, learning to look at the positive. Three ways to, to build a more resilient mind. And finally, Mary, for you, what's the meaning of life? Oh, goodness. <laughs> the meaning of life is uh, the meaning of life for me is just, you know, I was brought in to, into this life. I was given a chance like everybody else to either make it or not make it. And thank God I was given loads of gifts like everyone is. And it's up to me to use those gifts and to live my best life. And if I don't do it, that's my fault. I really believe that it's up to every person to to make the best of what they have and to live their best life. Yes, I know it's got to do with what social thing you're in and all that sort of thing. But every person... You just have to make the best of what you're in. Yes, we're fortunate. We're all being brought. I was born to lovely parents who were able to look after me and provide for me. But that that's what I believe, that I was born 
And then I thank God, um, good communication skills, intelligent, became a doctor. And the idea of going into medicine is caring for people. But I wanted to do more than just being an endocrinologist. I could see all of the, the problems with, you know, women's health, you know, uh, menopause, perimenopause, not being spoken about enough. I heard all the horror stories and I felt I had a duty to speak out. And mm-hmm. I think as doctors, we have a great, we have a platform to do that. And I felt it was very important to do that. And I'm delighted that I did do that. And I know you do it as well, Mark, because by doing that, we're leading from the front. We're changing the narrative. We're empowering women and men that don't speak. And also because we can see the bigger picture and we have the knowledge, we're educating the public. And I think that's very important because if you educate people, they will know why they have to do it. You can, you know, in a, with that education, you can do so much with legislation because you, you know, for example, the whole menopause, perimenopause thing, that's been around some Adam and Eve. But because we all started talking about it, we we got then got the public to listen. And then they thought, oh God, it opened up the gates and they felt mm-hmm. empowered to actually insist on getting action. And now we have all the government in, in getting involved. But of course, that should have been done by governments years ago, but they didn't listen. So, you know, that's something that that I think we need to do more as doctors, that when we see things being unequal, we need to address it. And we can do that in many ways. And one is doing podcasts, one is doing media interviews. But what you're doing all the time is you're passing on your information, but you're changing the narrative and you're empowering your listeners to actually realize that, yes, things could be better. And if we all come together, we will enforce change. And we we, we should have change because we're, we're equal. So I think that's that's what's driven me. Well, Mary, it's been wonderful having you in the doctor's chair. Keep leading, keep inspiring, keep changing the narrative and educating and empowering positive change. Mary, it's been such a pleasure having you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mark. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to my podcast in the doctor's chair. For further resources to support you to live with more vitality, please visit my website, drmarkrow.com. 